Good morning to you all. Good morning to the few of us here. How are y'all doing out there? I, 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 I'm, I don't know if I'd say I'm reaching my boiling point, but uh, this is getting to be old, and I feel like the, uh, I'm ready for things to get back to normal. I was at first ready to just wait and see how things would go, and I think I've seen enough, and I'm struggling, I think. And my question to you all is, how are you doing? And I, and I want you to, I want all of you, every single one who's, who's listening to this live stream, I want you to reach out to the elders and or the pastors this week, and I want you to email us and tell us how you're doing. We want to shepherd, we want to care for you during this time, and I think one thing that would help us to do that is if we were to know how you're doing, so we could pray for you and share that information with other, the other pastors and elders, and so that we can minister to you. So if you could do that this week, I, would, I personally would greatly appreciate that, and I know the elders and Pastor Jesse would as well. Well, this morning we're transitioning to another section in Philippians. Last week we were in the Gospel of John for both the Good Friday and the Easter Sunday service. And today we're back in Philippians. But before we get into Philippians, I want to review a passage in Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 11. And what I want to see from this passage this morning is I want to see... I want you to see what Paul says, what God says, about ministry. In these next coming weeks, and in this week this morning, we are going to be studying ministry. And a basic assumption that I'm going to be using as I go through the rest of Philippians 2 is that ministry is for all Christians. That's an assumption I'm going to be using as we go through the rest of Philippians 2. In Ephesians 4.11 nails that point. It proves that point that ministry is not just for pastors and or elders and or deacons, but ministry is for everyone who professes faith in Christ. Ephesians 4.11, and he, this is Jesus, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. What I want you to notice here in this passage, in these two verses, I want you to notice in verse 11, Jesus gives to the church certain offices. And these offices are specified as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I, my gifting, is in this latter category of shepherds and teachers. Pastor Jesse's gifting is there as well, as with the elders. And I want you to see in verse 12, this is the question I want you to ask of this passage, why does Jesus give these giftings to the church? The answer for that is found in verse 12. Why does Jesus give to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Why? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God has given to the church spiritual offices, gifted spiritual teachers and shepherds. 
And the purpose for why he's given those offices to the church is to equip the saints, is to equip Christians. For what purpose? For the work of the ministry. I expounded this passage whenever I dealt with my first series on the marks and works of the church. But I want to remind you of this assumption that I'll be using as I go through the rest of Philippians 2. Ministry, verse 12, is for all Christians. We are all called to engage in ministry. This is not a task that we can outsource to just the pastors and or the elders and or the deacons. Ministry is a calling that God places upon all who profess the name of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 demonstrates that. So with that assumption nailed down, let's go to, let's go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. This morning we'll be dealing with two passages in Philippians 2, verses 17 and 18. And I want you to see, in the ESV at least, I'm not sure about your Bible, but in the ESV, if you look above verse 19, you're going to see a new subject heading. In the ESV it reads, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what Paul is doing is Paul is going to be moving through four different examples of successful ministry. What does ministry look like? What are the principles that ministry is built upon? Paul is going to be giving us those details as he moves through these examples of ministry. In verses 19, Philippians 2, 19 through 24, that model for ministry, that example, is Timothy. And then in verses 25 through the rest of the chapter, verse 30, Paul is going to be giving us details about Epaphroditus' life and his ministry. And in our passage this morning, Paul is going to be giving us the example of himself and the Philippians as models for ministry. We're going to look at these persons, these examples, and we're going to unpack what ministry looks like and the principles that effective ministry must have. So that's where we're going in these next couple of weeks. I'm not sure how long this will take us. It might take us three weeks. It might take us four. But that's kind of the general idea that I'm going to be constructing as we go through the rest of this passage. So for our passage this morning, Philippians 2.17, read with me. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if this happens, Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Two principles of ministry from this passage. The first is this. It's quite simple. Ministry is costly. Ministry is costly. Ministry demands something of us. We cannot be effective in this world for Christ and his purposes unless it hurts. To engage in ministry, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, requires of us sacrifice. The central calling that Jesus places upon the Christian in this life is one of self-denial. 
Paul says this, verse 17. He mentions being poured out, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Paul here is emphasizing the sacrificial nature of his ministry. And to understand this, we have to understand this word, to be poured out as a drink offering. Now that's quite a mouthful in, in English. And in Greek, what, what the word that is behind here, it's just a single word. It's not a phrase. There's a single word behind this English statement. And that word, that word simply means a drink offering, some type of offering of liquid that is poured out to a god. In the Greco-Roman world, non-Christians, pagans would do this to their god. And in the Old Testament also, this was commanded by God. This was one of the offerings that God had given to the Israelites to give to him. Listen to this passage in Numbers 28, 6 through 7. The lamb that you offer is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter for, excuse me, shall be a quarter for each lamb. In the holy place, you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. In the holy place, you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. Now, I want you to notice what type of offering the Lord is commanding the Israelites to give. It's specific. God says to pour out an offering of drink that is a strong drink. To pour out a drink offering of strong drink. Now, in the ancient world, a strong drink was more costly than other types of drink. A strong drink was one that fermented for a longer amount of time. It was more costly and God specifies that this is the offering, the drink offering that the Israelites are to give to him. It's a strong drink. It's a costly drink. It's something that the person giving it has to sacrifice for. And bringing this to Paul's life, what is the offering that Paul is pouring out? Paul is pouring out his very own life. Paul is using this metaphor of a drink offering and what's in the cup, what he's pouring out to the Lord is himself. He's pouring out his very own life. And what we see in Paul is we see a heightened sense of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the drink offering was a strong drink. But in the New Testament, Paul specifies that what it is that he is pouring out for the gospel, for the Philippians, is his very own life. There is nothing more costly for us to give in this world than our lives. And we know that Paul went on, as early, early Christian tradition holds, Paul went out of this life truly pouring out his life for the gospel. He was persecuted and beheaded under the emperor Nero 
in the Roman world sometime around 100 AD. And Paul's exertion and sacrifice for the gospel ended up costing him his very own life. In Paul's life, ministry was costly. And then, once again in verse 17, Paul commends the Philippians here of their own sacrifice, their own sacrificial offering of their faith. Verse verse 17 again, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. What it is that Paul has done and is doing and will do by giving his life up for the gospel, the Philippians themselves were doing. And Paul specifies the way that they do this in verse one, excuse me, in chapter one. Look in verse 28, Philippians 1.28. We've reviewed this in our exposition of Philippians 1, but it's good to review it again. Paul says, and not frighten in anything by your opponents. So the Philippians had opponents. There were people in Philippi who opposed the Philippians' work. And then verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the Philippians' witness of the gospel in Philippi was bringing upon them suffering. And then verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul and the Philippians were walking hand in hand and testifying of the gospel in the early church. And for both Paul and the Philippians, this required sacrifice. It was costly to them. And to bring these two ideas together, what Paul is saying here in verse 17, Paul is saying this, Another way to understand this passage is this. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, along with your sacrificial offering that comes from your faith. Paul is saying here that Paul's example of sacrifice complements the Philippians' sacrifice of their faith. Paul is picturing here two sacrifices being offered to God and what Paul's relationship to the Philippian sacrifice is Paul is pouring his life out alongside the Philippian sacrifice. So both parties, both Paul and the Philippians are pouring out their lives for the gospel. And as it relates to our point, both Paul and the Philippians are engaging in a ministry that is costly. It demands something of them. And as it relates to us, sacrifice is a very difficult endeavor. To give up of oneself is very hard. This is hard because we are sinners but it's also hard because we are humans. And let me give you an example from my life. I've said many times, actually I don't think I've said it many times, that's a bit of an overstatement. I've said on one occasion that I love cookies. Amen, Steve? 
Amen. I love cookies. I just, cookies and milk at the end of a day is just the right way to end a day. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't want that in the evenings. Now, it's very unhealthy to have cookies and milk every night. It should be of no surprise. And so uh, there's some nights where I have to say no. I have to deny myself. Now, one way I kind of reason or, or, or rationalize having a cookie is to say, you know what? I'll go for a run today so that I can have a cookie tonight. Do you do that? I'm sure you do. It is easier to do that. It is easier to go for a run and still get what it is that I want. It's easier than going without. It is easier to sacrifice in a way that I find pleasing than it is to sacrifice in a way that I do not feel pleasure in. It is much easier for me to go for a run and have a cookie than not have a cookie at all. It is very hard in this life to go without. It is very hard to deny ourselves in this life what it is that we want. It's easier to supplement it with some other thing. But the sacrifice of the Christian life, there is no way to get around. What it is that Jesus requires of us is self-denial, is to go without the cookie. Listen to what Jesus says. Now, these are Jesus' words. I didn't make this up. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Part and parcel of the Christian life is self-denial. The calling of Christianity is to say no to oneself. And there's no way of getting around that. There's no run that we can go on to get around that. You cannot be a Christian and not be engaged in self-denial, sacrificed. And the ministry is the same way. To be an effective minister of the gospel in this world demands self-denial. It demands sacrifice. What Jesus calls us to do is to not pour out the things in our lives that we find easy to give up. Rather, Jesus calls us to give up the very things that we love most about life. Our sources of comfort, our sources of pleasure, our sources of delight in this world. Jesus calls us to give up those things. And often the way we kind of avoid this is we'll give up things that aren't costly to give up. And I think of money here. In our context, we have a surplus of financial resources. And there is a tendency in the human heart to replace sacrifice 
with throwing money at a problem. One way we deal with life's problems, if we have a surplus of resources, is rather than entering into that and seeking to serve, seeking to lay down the things that we love most about life, our ease, our comfort, our pleasure, if we have a surplus of resources, financial resources, what we will do is we will give, which is good, we need to give money. However, if we have a surplus of resources and it comes easy to give, what Jesus is demanding of us is more than that, more than our money. Jesus is demanding of us in ministry our very lives, our time, our focus, our energy. And we have to pursue this in ministry. If there's some area of your life that you say to the Lord, Lord, this is off limits, these areas, I welcome you in, my finances, but in these areas, these are off limits. The Lord is calling us to give those up. And usually those things are the things that we find the most peace in, in this world, our sources of comfort and pleasure. But based upon Paul's example, and based upon the example of the Philippians, we are to pour out our very own lives. Nothing is off the table for the Lord to use in this life and for the Lord to call us to give up. Ministry is costly. Second point. Write this. The cost should be a delight. So the first point was, let me review it, I wanna say it exactly as I said it earlier. Ministry is costly. The second point is the cost should be a delight. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 17. Let's go ahead and read the verse, whole verse again. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if ministry is costly. Paul says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. What a statement, dear friend. What a statement. Let me, let me read one commentator, what one commentator says of Paul here. Nowhere else in his letters does Paul so pointedly emphasize joy in the midst of suffering for the gospel. Nowhere else in Paul's letters does he so pointedly emphasize joy in the midst of suffering for the gospel. At Paul's lowest point in life, he's in prison and he will one day be beheaded for his faith. And Paul's response to that is joy, is gladness, is thanksgiving. And out of that flows the command in verse 18. What does he want the Philippians to do? Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. Paul has a command here for the Philippians and for us. 
And that command is to be glad. Dear friend, I want you to notice this morning, verse 18. I think this was the most uh, insightful point that I recognized of this passage. Verse 18, this is a command. Paul here is commanding the Philippians to be glad. He is commanding the Philippians to rejoice with him in his suffering. This is a command. And I think there's two ways that we can approach this notion of joy in light of the difficulty of the sacrifice of ministry. The first is a general observation about difficulty. The Bible commands us, this is a command, it's not a suggestion. The Bible commands the Christian to have joy in light of difficulty. And what it is that we're going through together as a community is difficult. And this excuse me, this situation is providing us ample opportunity to not have joy. This situation is providing us ample opportunity to disobey Philippians 2.18. Rather than obeying 2.18, we oftentimes find ourselves falling into what Paul prohibits in 2.14. What does Paul speak of in 2.14? He speaks of grumbling. He speaks of disputing. In light of these difficulties, it is very easy, very easy to have a bad attitude. It is very easy to grumble and complain. And what the, the reason why the Lord uses trials in our lives, difficulty, is that difficulty strips away our heart and it reveals the true character of our heart. It is very easy to obey Philippians 2.18 when things are going well. Paycheck is on time. Kids are well-behaved. Kids are in school. Low anxiety and stress. Things are going well. And in situations like that, oh, Lord, you're good. I have joy. But we realize very quickly that as the circumstances change, ooh, 218, having joy? Lord, I don't know about that. I'd rather grumble. I'd rather complain. Have a pity party. Sulk. Dear friend, it's very easy to do these things when life is difficult. But I want, you to, I want to remind you of the context that Paul is giving this commandment in. The context is one of Paul's own suffering. The context is one of the Philippians' own suffering. And God's commandment to us Christians is that in difficulty, we must have joy. We cannot grumble or complain or dispute or bicker. If we sulk, if we self-pity, if we have a victim mentality, we are disobeying what Paul is saying here in Philippians 
Dear friend, this is a command that we should have joy. And not just in difficulty, but in sacrifice as well. Sacrifice is a form of difficulty. Another funny story from my life. My wife loves to run. I like cookies. I love cookies. She loves to run. She's much more sanctified than I am. And whenever I come home from a day of work, oftentimes my wife needs to get out of the house. Very understandable. Very understandable. She's been in the house all day with the kids and she needs some time by herself. And whenever I come home, I know, I know in my mind and in my heart that this is what my wife needs. And so I oblige. I say, sweetie, you go run. I'll take care of the kids. So she's out running and I'm at home. Now, whenever I'm at home, if, I'm, if I just got home from a long day, I, I, I just kind of want to be <laughs> by myself. I just, you know, hey, listen, I need my space, right? And the kids, they, they want to play with me. You know, they want my attention. You know, they want to wrestle or they want to do this or that. And so, you know, I oblige, you know, okay, all right, I'll play with you. And so the longer I play with them, you know, they continue to want to play and, and continue to want to play. And, and so by the time my wife gets home, I, I, my attitude is bad. And so whenever she comes home, I'll say things like, you're late. You're five minutes late. Where were you? I'm hungry. What are we having for dinner? So I sacrificed for her. However, I was grumbling and complaining. And what the Lord requires of us is a sacrifice that we find joy in. And dear friend, this takes a tremendous work of the Spirit in our lives. It is hard to sacrifice. It is even harder to sacrifice with a joyful spirit. But that is exactly what it is that God calls us to in this passage. We not only sacrifice, we sacrifice with joy. And this is how as Christians we can do this. And I'll conclude with this thought. Whenever we sacrifice, we most image Jesus Christ in this life. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the preeminent, the most matchless, the most worthy cause to be pursued. And whenever we sacrifice for him here, we look the most like him. And as we see the Spirit of God working in our lives, what we should do is we should take heart and be joyful that the Lord is working in us and that we are replicating our Savior and God here in this world. That we should pour out our heart with thanks that the trials of life are producing in us the image of Christ. That's why we can and should be joyful whenever ministry is costly. And dear friend, this is an ideal. If you're not at this point, 
What I want you to remember is that this is the ideal. If you fail in this, in which you will, as evident in my own life, we will fail repeatedly in this, but we must consistently, consistently, keep the ideal before our eyes. We must consistently remember that to grumble and to complain and to self-pity is a sin. But by the power of the resurrection and through the worthiness of Jesus Christ and by Paul's example himself, that sacrifice with joy, ministry, the costliness of ministry being associated with gladness, that that is possible. So we must keep that ideal before our eyes. And we must be attuned to our attitudes, to the attitudes of our heart. Attitudes are difficult to understand. But the Lord is calling us here to an emotional sanctification. The Lord doesn't just want to have his way in our mind, in our thoughts. He wants to reach down to the deepest attitudes of our lives, our motives. And the Lord is demanding of us sanctification in our emotions. Dear friend, this is a difficult endeavor. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. Do not despair. Pray, this is what I would request, the specific application for this. Pray that the Lord would put you in situations where you can sacrifice, where you can make a sacrifice for the benefit of others. And then follow that up with the request that the Lord would give you joy as you sacrifice for others. Dear friend, I'm so thankful that you could join in with us. As I said, please reach out to us elders. Please reach out to the pastors. We want to know how you're doing. We serve a tremendous God and a God who calls us to, based upon Jesus Christ, based upon his, his death, death and resurrection, he calls us to sacrifice for him and for others with joy. Gracious Father, we give you praise, honor, and thanks. Father, we pray for your Spirit's work in our hearts. Lord, we pray for comfort and joy in the difficulties of life. Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts of how we so often fall short of the ideal. And Father, we pray for this emotional sanctification that you would cause us to be aware when we sulk, when we self-pity, when we view ourselves as victims, when we are selfish in our hearts. We pray that you would give us an understanding of our body language, of our words, how those attitudes express themselves through our bodies. Father, I pray for an awareness, Father, and also a fighting of those sins, that you would give us a desire to repent of our selfishness, that you would give us a desire to sacrifice, and Father, that you would bring about in us this commandment to have joy in sacrifice. Father, we ask for your sanctifying grace upon this church, and Lord, we do pray for your protection and provision 
of our lives. Lord, bring us together once again soon. And in the meantime, Father, complete your work in us by producing in us a desire to sacrifice with joy. In Christ's matchless name, I pray. Amen.